You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. Some of you are probably a little confused right now. And I'll go ahead and say it's totally understandable. You're confused because you came expecting a sermon on miracles, signs, wonders in the Gospel of John. And everyone knows that the first miracle in the Gospel of John is in chapter 2. And we all know it's in chapter 2 because it's one of the more famous miracles. You may have thought about it already. It's the one where Jesus takes a whole bunch of water and transforms it into a whole bunch of wine. And you're thinking, I came expecting to hear about the wine in chapter 2, and all I got is a big chunk of chapter 1. What's the deal? I'm confused. Well, there are two things that may help relieve some of the confusion. Number one, we'll talk about the wine next Sunday. So you got to come back for that. Number two, there actually is a miracle in chapter 1, even if it isn't called that. In fact, there are two. We can call them the miracles before the miracles. The signs and expressions of power that God displays before we get into the miracles of Jesus in the narrative of the gospel. And we need to spend some time wrestling with the miracle before the miracles. The power that comes before the signs and wonders so that we'll be ready to hear what Jesus has to say and so that our eyes will be prepared to see what He wants us to see in the deeds of power that He performs in the pages of this Gospel. We've got a little work to do up front. And if we wrestle with the reality that we find in chapter 1 and this original miracle, as I like to call it, we'll begin to discover the reality, the principle that we'll need for the rest of the Gospel. All of the miracles, the signs and wonders. And that is this. What you see depends on whose you are. What you see when you see the signs and wonders of Jesus is more about who you belong to than anything else. And that will play out all through the Gospel. And it's a point that gets introduced and rises to the top in these first 18 verses of John chapter 1. The point begins to be evident in verse 10. If you have a Bible, drop your finger in the middle of that opening passage that we just read, John 1, verse 10, where John says, he, and we know we're beginning to realize he's talking about Jesus, even though he hasn't 
He hasn't named Jesus yet, but the Word made flesh, the one who's coming into the world, the light that shines in the darkness, is Jesus. And John says in verse 10, He was in the world, and the world came into being through Him. Talk about that in a minute. He came to what was His own, and His own people did not accept Him, but to all who received Him, who believed in His name, He gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And John is introducing this contrast, isn't he, between those who see Jesus and reject Him. He came to His own, but His own did not receive Him. It's one side of the contrast. And then there's the other side of the contrast. There are those who see Him and hear the good news and hear what He has to say, who hear His teaching and receive it. And to those, He works powerfully to make them children of God. So you've got this contrast, don't you? Between people who end up belonging to God and people who don't. People who become part of God's family and people who remain in darkness outside the family of God. It's a question of belonging, isn't it? And John is inviting this question before he even gets through the prologue. Who do you belong to? Whose are you? Jesus has come to take people who are strangers to God and outside His family and move them into a place of peace with God, their Father, as children in the family. Now the question very quickly should arise, who is Jesus that he can pull that off? And John's got something to say about that too, doesn't he? you got to go back to verse 1 to get that though. In the beginning was the Word. These are familiar verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And if you read through the Old Testament, you discover again and again and again that God's creative power is expressed through His Word. Let there be light. And there was light. Flowers fade. What endures forever? The Word of the Lord. By His Word, He creates and sustains and endures. And John draws on that passage from Genesis, those opening words in the Bible. You don't write in the beginning <laughs> without purposefully telling people you're drawing on Genesis. And so he's, he's drawing on this sense of God who is the Creator, who's powerful, who speaks, who brings worlds into existence, who says, let there be light, and there's light. There's not even a sun yet. That gets created later. But there's light. Who forms planets, who, who creates the elements, who brings them together in just the right mixture of beryllium and helium and all the other ones that I don't remember. 
who fine-tunes all of those things and brings it forward so that you may have life. It's the, 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 the stunning power. Every so often I'll scroll through social media and someone will say, hey, the telescopes in space have a new picture. And there it'll be. And it's this spectacular, amazing image of the galaxies. We think of space as this cold, dark place, but every time NASA comes home with a picture, it's this brilliant, colorful, spectacular image. Isn't it? And God, who has made things we've not even captured on film yet, with all of His just that stunning power, that creative power, John says, is embodied in Jesus. Because Jesus is deeply associated in mysterious and surprising ways with the Creator. How does He put it? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now this is something I pull out in confirmation class sometimes to try to help the students understand this. If I were to come up to you and say, Hi, I'm Matt, and I'm with Matt. You'd probably be calling the guys with white coats. Not sure about this guy. Maybe he needs a little attention. There's some psychiatrist out there who can help. Nobody talks that way, or at least not sane people. But John says that about Jesus. He's God and he's with God. And what is he getting at there? He's getting at this deep reality that in the God who made all things in the Creator. He's going to talk about creation in just a minute. In the beginning, he's going to talk about how God has made all things. But between the Creator and the man we know as Jesus, there is deep unity. The Word was God. At the same time, there is distinction. We can differentiate between the two. It's a mystery. We're not altogether sure how to articulated, and even if we could, it would probably belittle the reality. But the thing that John is trying to say when we laid eyes on Jesus, when we saw His works of power, when we saw the things that He did, the words that He spoke, we saw God before us. The Word was God. They share essential being. The Word was with God. There is a distinction. And that became the, base, the scriptural basis for our doctrine of the Trinity. Three gods who share one being who are distinct in person. Who exist forever in a relationship of self-giving love. Perfect self-giving love. And John wants us to realize that that reality, that perfect triune self-giving love, that creative love, that love through which all things came into being, the Crab Nebula and you, is present in Jesus to make you a child of God. That love, that creative power is present in Jesus to bring you and me from darkness to light. From estrangement 
to family. The tragedy is he came to his own and they did not accept him. It's a good reminder that Jesus isn't looking for slaves. Jesus isn't out to coerce you. He's not going to make you do what he wants. But he does offer an invitation. And he does give the power that is required to accept it. To all who received him, he gave power. That power doesn't arise from within us. Jesus gives it. I was thinking about this this morning. And I've struggled during the week to really articulate what I think is going on here. But as uh, our musicians were singing about the power of the name of Jesus, as we were singing together about the beauty of the name of Jesus. One thing became more clear. There was a moment when it clicked. And I began to realize through the kindness of Jesus that all of the power, that stunning, unimaginable power that God has worked to create things for His pleasure that we've not yet seen. The power that brings trees, other plants, planets, galaxies, uni the universe, the elements, the gases, all every the power whereby God created all things he desires to put to work in you and me i mean just let that sink in for a minute The power it took to create the Milky Way. Anybody? I don't know anybody who can make one of those. I'm not talking about the candy bars. I mean, if you've ever seen it, if you've ever been in a place where it's actually dark enough to see this just white streak of stars and dust and luminosity just across the night sky and think, what a stunning thing it is, this arm of our galaxy just swooshing across the sky and God made it. Not only did He make it, He sustains it and it's only spinning and existing because He desires moment by moment with pure, perfect, self-giving love to sustain it. It's only there now. Because he loves it and us. 
The power that Jesus employs to sustain the Milky Way galaxy is the power that He desires to put to work in each of us to make us new creations. I mean, this is no second thought for Him. This isn't, well, you know, I've got some stuff going on today and I know there's some folks over there and there's some things and they're struggling and, you know, if I have time to it, I'm keeping the galaxy spinning already and if I have time to it, I'll, I'll get... Jesus came to make us new. To make us family members. The grace He gives is powerful. It's not grace that says, I know you got problems, I'll pretend they're not there while I look the way. It's grace that heals the problems. It's not grace that's sort of soft and says, I know you're in darkness and, you know, that's okay. We'll just kind of pretend it's not as bad as it is. That's not, grace isn't this soft, just pretend it's not there and it'll go away thing. We treat it that way sometimes, right? Show me some grace. It means don't tell me when I'm wrong. <laughs> In John, grace is the language to describe the power of the Creator who creates the universe at work in you to make you a child of God. And He wants to do that so that you and I will have eyes to see all the other things that He is at work accomplishing through his people in the world that he made in the world that he loves but what you see when he works depends on whose you are we're not ready to see the beauty of the power of God in the Milky Way until we belong to him And if we don't belong to Him, we're very likely to maybe see something else, aren't we? Let's give it some rational reasons. We don't need God to explain that kind of stuff. He's fine over there, if He's there. We've got a calculation. We run into that sort of thing. Creation is the original miracle. And if we belong to God and have experienced His life-giving power, His family-making power, His gracious, redemptive power, then all of a sudden we're in a position to see the stunning reality that He is the Creator of all things. And if He's the Creator of all things then He has the power to work new creation in me. And not just in me, but in the world that He's made. And as we get into John's Gospel, and as we get into these signs and wonders, we'll begin to see that what Jesus is doing is saying, hey, if you want to see what the Creator, see what it looks like when the Creator starts making things new, it looks like wine at a wedding. Or it looks like loaves and fish. Or it looks like lame men getting healed. Or blind men being able to see things happening Creation is made new. Physical bodies are restored. People have feasts. There is bounty, not scarcity. And those signs and wonders again and again, even though we struggle. And, not, and here's the thing, friends. Not all believers struggle to really handle the signs and wonders, but some do. 
They just didn't have an explanation, but surely there's an explanation. We, we struggle with it. But when I, we begin to experience what it means to have the power of the Creator at work in our souls, in our lives, in our bodies, then all of a sudden we begin to be able to see that what Jesus is doing is bringing the work and power of the Creator to bear in a broken world to make it new. What you see depends on whose you are. This reality plays out in the Gospel of John in different ways. We'll get into these a little more deeply in a couple of weeks, but one is An experience had by a man who had been lame since birth, 38 years old, and there's this pool, and the waters get stirred, and if he can get, whoever gets in first gets well, but he doesn't have anybody to help him out. And so Jesus one day comes along and says, forget the waters, get up, take your mat, and walk. And he does. And you know what happens? Some people come along. John says some of the Jewish people to whom Jesus came. Instead of saying, wow, this is amazing. What is God doing? He's at work. In, they apparently were fine with people getting in the water to be healed, but not with Jesus doing it. What you see well, depends on who you are, whose you are. Jesus heals the man, and they come and say, doesn't he know it's the Sabbath? <laughs> Surely you can't heal people on the Sabbath. That would just be violating the law. It's working after all. Putting that power into play. They couldn't see the new creation. They couldn't see the healing and the wholeness that Jesus was bringing because their presuppositions were not shaped by the power of the God who is making himself known in Jesus. Comes up again, chapter 9. Well-known story, man born blind. Jesus heals him. Folks come along. Same story, second verse. Who healed you? What's he doing? And these miracles evoke this antagonism, these signs and these displays of power. People are made, the guy couldn't see, and now he's walking around and he can see well. And, and instead of celebrating that recovery and celebrating that wholeness, there is this opposition and there is this antagonism because Jesus doesn't meet their expectations. And for John, we know, chapter 1, if we've read it, we know what's going on. He's come to them, but they don't belong to him. He, they have not received him. They have not experienced this transformation from darkness to light, from estrangement to family reconciliation. They haven't been born of God. And if they had, if they belonged to the family... 
they'd be able to see what Jesus was up to. What you see depends on whose you are. This reality plays out in the 21st century in different ways too, doesn't it? One of the ways we've had some conversation around the last couple of weeks is in the alleged conflict between the sciences and the Christian faith. And one of the common things, one of the common points of disputes is the miracles. Because if you assume that this world is all there is, that the things we see and the processes we can observe is it, and there's no supernatural God out there, then there's not really space for a miraculous demonstration of power. Because what you see is what you got. There's nothing out there to work in here. At least that's the way it's talked about. On the other side, for folks who are committed to the reality that God in Christ has made all things, the natural world as we have it is not all there is. There is a supernatural reality that isn't visible to our eyes, that is at work, and that reality that is the triune God who has made all things through Jesus, the power of the Spirit. Nothing exists that He didn't create. And if that's our frame of reference, well, it may not be all that surprising for Him to show up and spit on a guy's eyes and all of a sudden He can see. After all, if He can make a Milky Way, surely He can heal that guy's eyes. And so again, and, and a lot and the reason I want to dig into this for a minute is because a lot of a lot of Christians struggle because we think it's obvious to us how why is this controversial? If God can make the world, surely he can if he can make your eyes, surely he can heal them. If he can make the water, surely he can change it into something else. It wouldn't have been there if he hadn't willed it to be in the first place. It seems obvious. The evidence is all there. Look at the, the, the heavens display the glories of God. And we have to realize it's not really a question of evidence. It's a question of presupposition and a question of belonging. If you belong to Jesus, you don't need the evidence. He's given you the eyes to see his hand at work in the world he's made. And amongst those who are militantly opposed to him, Google new atheists if you're not sure who I'm talking about. Science is a tool to make everybody over here look stupid. But the question isn't, where's the evidence? The question is, who do you belong to? Whose family are you? What you see depends on whose you are. I said there were two miracles in this first chapter, in the chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. 
The first one is the original miracle, let there be light. That's a supernatural event. The creation of the natural world, as we call it, is a supernatural act of God. The second one is one we've already reflected on, but let's name it. To those who received him, he gave power to become children of God. Born not of blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but born of God. The God who performed the original wonder is the God who performs a miracle in the lives and hearts and being of all his children. It's a supernatural work, isn't it? To move from darkness to light. Darkness is the default position. We all start there. Jesus God made flesh. The one who, did you catch it? No one's ever seen God, but God, the only Son, this is verse 18, who is close to the Father's heart, has made him known and has made known his redemptive, healing, new birth, regenerating power. And that, friends, is just as much a miracle as anything. Why? Because there is no natural power. There is no natural process. There is nothing I can do, nothing I can manipulate, no formula that I can create, nothing that I can employ to bring about the new birth, the regenerating experience, the movement from darkness to light, only the Word made flesh, the one through whom all things have gone from non-being to being, only He can do that. And if He's done it in you, recognize your new life is the miracle. John invites us to find ourselves in this verse. A verse about the creation of the universe, the galaxies, the cosmos, all that is. Things we can see, things we can't see. But it's not so high and lofty that he forgets about the reality of individual people made in the image of God who've given themselves to darkness, who are broken, who need to be healed, who need to be made whole. He hasn't forgotten about that. And before we will be ready to see the signs and wonders and see everything that's there and see everything that Jesus wants to see and experience the transformation He wants us to experience, we need to be born again. What you see depends on whose you are. Many of us here 
can bear testimony to that moment. I see some heads nodding. I was overjoyed to hear on Wednesday night a few folks kind of share how Jesus got a hold of them. It's good. Someone here needs Jesus to work that initial miracle right here. If it's you, don't say no. Let me read this one more time. He was in the world. The world came into being through him, but the world did not know him. He came to what was his own. His own did not accept him. That's not where you want to be. But to all who received him, he gave power. Power to become something they were not. Children of God. That's where you want to be. Someone here may be realizing... <laughs> I don't belong to him. I belong to myself or something. But I feel this pull. I feel this tug. And I think it's Jesus. And I want to be a part of the family of God. If that's you, I want to pray with you. As you move from darkness to light, as you become a child of God through the redeeming, life-giving, light-giving power of God. I want to issue an invitation. And it may feel really weird. But if the Spirit of God is at work in you in this way now, as I pray and as we pray, respond to Him by coming. Take a step into a new family. And I'll be here to pray and celebrate the signs and wonders, the miracle of new birth in you. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. 
If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.